You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the show. Penzo, Performance Sign, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Oh, you can hear the joy in my voice. You can be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper. Loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper. Today, Sarah, late uh, yesterday afternoon, I was treating myself to 20 ounces. It may not have been Dr. Pepper, but I was celebrating. (laughs) It may have been more than 20 ounces. (laughs) Oh, I was afraid I wasn't going to have any voice uh, to join you with. But let me tell you something. I've seen a lot of heartbreaking endings. Yesterday was the moment where I thought I was watching one. I thought I was living one. I was sending my friends texts saying, I, I'm disgusted with myself. I'm Charlie Brown kicking the football. I've done it to myself again. And then all of a sudden, rejoice. The, the Jets do a terrible, stupid thing, and my beloved Raiders get a last-second win. Yeah, it was very weird for my team to be the team. I mean, it wasn't weird for my team to do something stupid and terrible. But against the Lions, for my team to be the one that Lions did at the end was really something. It did not feel good. It sucks to suck. It really does. <laughs> it sucks to suck is like really the simplest. I, I do want to address, though, you know, a lot of people yesterday were going nuts over conspiracy theories. And uh, I, I have a hard time with conspiracy theories in general, but it bothered me to watch everybody yesterday implying that Greg Williams was, in fact, making a play call so that the Jets would intentionally lose. I mean, several different factors to this. Number one, in the moment, it presumes that Greg Williams is going to be around to coach the Jets with Trevor Lawrence. We now already know that's not the case, as he has been let go today so any thought that there was some element of trying to uh, to tank for Trevor I'll also remind everybody the Raiders had the ball about a minute and a half before it would have been easier if you're trying to tank wouldn't you have given up the game then like it would have made more sense instead they lose in heartbreaking fashion and now Greg Williams has no job yeah I, I dabbled in thinking about that I thought you know is there any chance that he's sort of the sacrificial lamb so that they can try to argue that they weren't in fact tanking Mina Kimes drew up a great uh, drawing of the Jets defense on that play it was just a, a, a picture of a tank drawn onto the field um I, I really thought that might be the case but then I was listening to the great Bill Barnwell who is fantastic every Monday on ESPN Daily Pablo's podcast if you don't listen you're really missing out they break down the whole weekend of games and and he said, of Greg Williams, this is a guy who's never seen a problem he can't solve with more blitzes. And the series before, he ran a seven-man blitz, really leaving his secondary to, de- to fend for themselves, and it worked. The Raiders weren't able to convert. And so uh, I guess there is a chance that he legitimately looked at the end of that game and thought, I'm going to throw a seven-man blitz with an eighth defender spying on Carr. I'm going to throw my three men in coverage man-to-man against three receivers, and there'll be so much stress on Carr, he'll be so overwhelmed by the blitz that he can't figure out what to do. And instead, we heard from Derek Carr after the game, and he's like, yeah, I saw that, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Well, uh- um, And, of course, it's an undrafted rookie cornerback on a super-fast star out of college in, in rugs, and everything conspired to allow your stank team who for a second week wet the bed and managed to somehow only lose one of those two games. Uh, Everything conspired to help them, but I don't think it was a conspiracy. I think Greg Williams really, for whatever reason, thought that was the right play, even though Fitz, and I don't know if you saw these stats, but this was pretty incredible. Someone pointed out, uh, and I saw this, 
Uh, now someone has, has uh, I believe, deleted it. But, oh, no, here it is. Uh, this was the incredible uh, uh, statistic that out of 252 pass plays attempted under similar circumstances in the last 15 seasons, the Jets were the only defense to send more than six rushers. My like, God. Ever. Ever. 252 times in 15 seasons. That's wild if he really believed in it. Well, maybe he just got overconfident seeing Carr miss a wide open Aguilar the play before. I mean, like, they, oh, they, yeah. I, I thought it was all done. Yeah. Now, I will say for all the, the yelling at Greg Williams, part of this has to lie at the feet, in my mind, of Adam Gase. He was asked squarely <sighs> today why he didn't override the defensive call of the Blitz. This is what he said Adam, why didn't you overrule the call when, when Greg made it? Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have. Yeah, I was a little. I think I was just, you know, sometimes during those game, during the game, and you know, you're talking through a bunch of situations, and that comes up. I wish I would have called timeout, but I didn't. I mean, what other situation are you talking about? Like, what are you doing that's more important with four seconds Get left a in the game? Than figuring- order for after the game. <laughs> He's like, hey, what kind of pizza are we going to have on the bus after? Like, what what are you talking about? Just after unreal. Yeah. And that was the most concise response I heard from him after. Most of it was, duh, huh, huh, duh, huh. because that's what you sent. Well, I mean, he's kind of sounded like that the entirety of the season, but that's what, especially what you sound like when you're dealing with just a, a terrible, unarguable situation, inarguable, where th- there was no excuse for that. And that's why what ended up Pouring out of his mouth was just a lot of uh uh-huh. I was uh something else came up yeah well, during the final seconds of the game. As you know, I always say better to be lucky than good. Uh, the Philly uh, Philly yesterday was neither lucky nor good, and Carson Wentz uh, found his way to the bench. So Jalen Hurts comes in and is now at least for this moment had his opportunity, looked good in that moment, and Sarah. So that leads to the questions now for what's going to happen in Philadelphia and what they do with Carson. And guess who sounded a lot like Adam Gase when asked about another very tenuous situation? Doug Peterson. Uh, no, I have not made a decision yet. And uh, the offensive line um, does not weigh into any um, decisions as to who that might be. So then, Doug, what are some of the determining factors in that decision? And is there a time you'd like to make that decision by? Yeah, you know, Dave, I'm not not prepared right now to uh, make any uh, statement or decisions on on that. You know, I'm I'm still processing a lot of uh, a lot of things and going through a lot of things before I make that decision. So that uh, when I know, you'll know. Sure, sure. I'm not asking it, what the decision is, but what goes into that decision? Uh, I would like to keep those private. So that's just between me and me. <laughs> Translation: If I tell you it's about money, then you know we're picking Wentz. And if I tell you it's about you know protecting the ball and movement in the pocket, then you know it's hurt. So I really can't tell you anything because that'll show my hand. So uh, we'll just uh, we'll just also then you'll have an opportunity to decide whether we're actually using the metrics that we're telling you. We're making decisions for other reasons. This might be the most complicated monetary situation we've seen in mm. modern NFL times because if no one saw it today, they showed the graphic on NFL Live. If he's not, if Carson Wentz is not on the Eagles roster in 2021, his dead cap number is $59.2 million in a year where the cap is expected to go down by $20 million because of less revenue. So uh, they're thinking it's going to be in the 170 range. You would be spending 60 of it on a quarterback that's not on the roster. If he's not on the roster in 2022, he still has a $24.5 million hit. I mean, these are astronomical numbers for a quarterback that the organization feels like they've given up on. Yeah, it's brutal. And the decisions going forward um, make it incredibly difficult, Fitz, uh, because 
there's people's jobs who rely on, you know, Wentz coming through and proving that contract right. But do you just continue to sink money into and time and reps into something when it's over, knowing that it will hurt the future ability of your team, the future money making and success of your team? Uh, they're in a they're in a pickle, and we'll get into it later in the show. Fits on uh, on what our personal opinion is on who should be starting going forward. Well, yeah, and quickly, I will say everybody shares some blame in this. I mean, Carson Wentz hasn't played well enough. I don't think Doug Peterson has coached well enough, and also their their GM Howie Roseman uh, signed a contract that has now absolutely pinned them in. So uh, obviously, that's just a little taste of what we got into. Sarah mentioned the Bears. Maybe not enough. I, I'm just Maybe saying later. Have, Maybe uh, later uh, we'll uh, get into the Okay, bears. fine. But in the meantime, there was a massive upset and one team that I could not have been more wrong about. I'll fall on the sword. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah, I don't know that there was a more surprising outcome to me yesterday as much as I was surprised by the actual end of the game for my beloved Raiders than there was out of the game between the Seahawks and the Giants. And it's funny because last week Keyshawn said, you know, I wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs, and I laughed at it. We both laughed at it. We both laughed, yes. And now I'm watching yesterday as a Giants team with their backup quarterback just went in there and went toe-to-toe with the Seahawks who looked out of sync the entire game and then get the huge upset and now put themselves in a situation where the East is there to be won by New York. I'm so torn on this because – Football can be weird, right? We can have a little bit of drunk football, and I think this weekend was one of those weekends where you're like, what's going on exactly in the NFL right now? Is this a trap game? Is this a letdown game? Is this you look over there, you see a backup quarterback on a team with a sub-500 record, and you just settle in, especially for the Seahawks, who've had some pretty tough opponents in recent weeks. Maybe they look over at Colt McCoy, and they just didn't game plan enough for him specifically or didn't get themselves up for this game. Or... We really could be seeing a Giants team that is taking steps in the right direction, that is becoming, uh, I'm not going to say a contender. I don't think this team is going to win anything. I still don't agree with Keyshawn that other teams would be circling them on the playoff schedule saying, oh, we don't want to face them. But there is a respect factor that they have earned uh, that I have not been giving them after their early start, and particularly considering the massive injuries to their biggest stars, the shakeups at quarterback because of injury. Uh, Joe Judge has, Judge has done a nice job of keeping them motivated and of making this team want to go out there against tough teams like the Seahawks and give it their all. And it worked out this time. Now, the Seahawks had to contribute with with just a stinker of a game. But you're right. I was shocked by that. And you and I, uh, there were a number of occasions that we laughed on Friday when discussing matchups. And uh, we're not laughing now because we were wrong. We were wrong. We were wrong a lot. Well, look, I, I mean, I needed to see the Giants go in against a team that was actually any good because I'll stand by the fact that their three wins before that on this streak were over the Bengals, the Eagles, and the Washington football team. Those aren't exactly the types of wins that you, you know, sort of write home about. But they did have the close loss to the Buccaneers in a game that – Everybody thought, wow, could have gone either way. And so they were a little surprising there. Now you see that come full circle and you look over the course of the next month, they have the Cardinals, the Browns, the Ravens, the Cowboys. I'm not saying that that's easy, but for a team that's five and seven right now, they're the only team in the division that looks like they are at least playing competitive football. Right. Like- well, the arrow's going in the right direction. I don't know. I mean, I, I would say the WTFs um, have had some moments You still don't feel a a lot of confidence in them, and they are currently in that early Monday night football game down a couple scores to the Steelers, the only undefeated team in the league. But I do think we've seen 
a couple bright spots for the WTFs, which is what I call the Washington football team. Um, the Cowboys are just, you know, no, we don't even need to discuss them. Yeah. They're, 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 thankfully, we have finally decided no matter whether they're quote unquote America's team, we're still okay with uh, just pretending they don't exist until they get relevant again. There was a moment today on ESPN where I saw them flash up the current draft standings and I saw the star at the number five pick and it just mm. sort of hit me that, that they're so bad that there'd be they'd be a top five pick right now. Mm-hmm. And I just don't even think about that. So, uh, you know, serious, uh, obviously this season's gone off the rails for them. Now, the other thing that I was just drastically wrong about yesterday with the Cleveland Browns, and, you know, I've, I've been a doubter, and I've loudly said they're not going to make the playoffs, and I'm not <laughs> sure how to best season my crow, but after yesterday, I mean... I think see, people seasoned it for you in your Menchies. I mean, my God, like... <laughs> and I they looked, came into mind, too. They were like, you were laughing when he said it. I'm like, it was funny. I didn't agree with them. I mean, <laughs> it, but, but I had it coming, you know, like, the good news is I was just... Drunk enough to respond to some of that by the end of the Raiders game, but I, I mean, I, I keep thinking about the version of the Browns that we've seen, and Baker Mayfield at times has been a liability. I mean, it was just a week ago that people were looking at all the missed passes and saying, "Oh my God, Baker, you got to be better than that." And then he comes out against the Titans and just, I mean, an abomination of an effort for Tennessee, but also just the opposite side of it. It was a beauty for Cleveland and a really inspiring moment for a team that I didn't believe in. Yeah, we'll get into something that uh, Bill Barnwell said uh, to toot his horn again on the ESPN Daily today that I thought was really interesting in analyzing this game. Uh, but one of the things he also talked about was the Browns' schedule and why he's still not quite sold on them because they're 9-3, and okay, 3-0 and against the terrible NFC East, 2-0 and against the Bengals. They beat the Jags and Texans by a combined five points. Their most impressive wins were a nine-point win over the Colts and this Truly impressive win over Tennessee. There are three losses to the Raiders, Ravens, and Steelers by a combined 73 points. Mm. I mean, that's... When you look at the schedule that way, you do ask yourself, are they just feasting when they should, and it's famine when they play a good team? We will need to see this against the Ravens. We'll need to see this a couple more times because... You know, a lot of people are, are are singing Baker's praises, and and you're supposed to show up against teams that you that you that you should beat. This was the occasion where you said, "Okay, I think the Titans are going to win this game," and he showed up and he played great. But a lot of it was game planning, so I'd like to see him repeat this against other teams. Well, and now, like to your point, with the Ravens coming up, the Giants, who we just gave some love to, and the Steelers, three out of their four games left are still difficult ones. So uh, I, I feel a little less secure with my take that they're not going to make the playoffs. But at the same time, I can at least look at it and say, okay, part of this, though, lies at the feet of the Titans. And, you know, the Titans are a team that I've had some difficulty trying to figure out this year. I mean, when you think about Mm -hmm. how good they've looked at times and then what they've done that I think is sort of the cardinal sin is they've played down to some of their opponents. But how does this team look so good against the Ravens and Colts and then lay this kind of egg against the Browns? Like It makes no sense to me to try and figure out how good this Titans team is. I keep mentioning and throwing out that I want us to do a segment called Mood Swings on the things in the NFL season that we've swung back and forth on the most. And Baker and the Titans are both in that. And you even said Cardinal Sin, and the Cardinals are in there too, even though you weren't talking about that team. <laughs> they're, they're all in there because I agree with you. The Titans, at times, I have staked my my money, theoretically, since I don't bet actual money, on this is a team they should beat. You know, they're going to pound and ground with, you know, it's going to be Derrick Henry all day and we're going to see, you know, their, their red zone efficiency and yada, yada, or this is a team that's going to match up well with them. It has rarely gone the way that I expected for them. And and different teams show up for them uh, the same way that we've seen different bakers show up.
Yeah, this is a team that has huge wins over the Bills over the course of the year, the Colts over the course of the year, then also inexcusable losses to the Bengals and now the Browns. But mm-hmm. all, a part of that does come back to I don't want to take anything away from just flat out how well Baker Mayfield played in this game. That's got to be a big part of why they won. Dan Orlovsky, our Even ES- catching passes, by the way. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. That toe tap, he was like, all right, wide receivers, I, I showed you I could do what you do. Now let's uh, let's let's run some wildcats with you guys, see what happens. He continually catches my heart, too, for his acting. I think football is really taking him away from his true calling. But Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin talked about Baker specifically and how well he's playing right now. I think he's playing like he's the leader of the football team mentally like he's he's playing like that's his football team and the, the great thing is you're seeing a lot of highs out of baker certainly in the last like four or five weeks you're seeing a lot of highs but you're not seeing any lows and uh, i mean yeah. that I, yes it's the mistakes but it's yeah. also a little disingenuous because last week the twitter was going crazy over a missed touchdown pass that was wide open right there for baker so like the, the lows are still there they just weren't there for one week. So I, I just don't know how wild and crazy I can get my my praise of him without at least acknowledging that a week ago there were questions. Right. I mean, in this industry, the expectation is to be able to extremely confidently declare that someone is trash or an MVP candidate. And <laughs> we're very rarely allowed much in the middle. But I've been sort of in the middle about Baker all season. I haven't been willing to go out and say he's not your guy, which a lot of people have. He's not going to be a franchise quarterback. But I'm also not going to watch this game, especially because of the amount of play action they used and how poor Tennessee is against play action uh, quarterback plays. I'm I'm just not going to come out and say I expect to see this exact performance going forward every week. I need to see more. Well, I think that's what we're all going to be saying. If we want to be cautious with the Browns, let's see a little bit more before we – uh, suddenly anoint anything here as the uh, as solved for Cleveland. But it's a good story, at least, and I'll admit for one week I was wrong. Coming up, uh, with all the talk on the 49ers, we'll go out to San Francisco and get the latest on what to expect in tonight's Monday night matchup on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up Tuesday, we're getting you set for the college football playoff announcement. Does Ohio State deserve to be one of the best four teams in the country? Only on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. To Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you. Jason Fitz coming back in just a little bit. bit uh, he's uh, doing his uh, Monday Night Football digital stuff. Cheating on me, as always. It's a through line on this show. It's the ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Like I mentioned, two Monday Night Football games. Uh, right now, the Steelers are up 17-10. to 10 on the WTFs. Um, scary moment for, for a second there as Alex Smith got cleated by a teammate. And so his left leg, which is the good leg, uh, covered in blood, dripping down the ankle. And even though uh, you had that moment of knowing it wasn't the bad leg, it's just anytime anything is happening with any of Alex Smith's limbs, I just want to wrap him up in a hug and carry him off the field and send someone else out there. But it uh, seems to be okay. And um, remarkable each and every time we watch him act as a starting quarterback or even going in as a backup anytime he's out on the field it's just remarkable and if you didn't watch uh that piece um with Alex and uh, Stefania Bell on ESPN a couple months ago about everything he went through I highly highly recommend it you can't possibly appreciate what you're watching unless you've seen that uh although be prepared to look away numerous times uh when they show 
what was remaining of his leg uh, after everything, which it's just remarkable that he's out there. Uh, That game, about 13 minutes or so left in the fourth quarter, and then we'll get to Bill's Niners after that. I want to take a minute here and talk about something that came up um, at the end, tail end of last week, um, I want to say. Uh, time is a flat circle, so I can't I can't pinpoint a day. But uh, tail end of last week, uh, Sports Illustrated announced their Sports People of the Year. Um, this is something that has caused people to freak out in the past because I think a horse won it. Um, and there's always arguments about in the in the history of the magazine how few women and whether there's enough people of color. The, the usual arguments about awards like this. Well. This time, they gave it to a number of people. So they, they really allowed themselves the freedom to not be, uh, uh, to not anger quite so many because they honored LeBron James, Brianna Stewart, Patrick Mahomes, Naomi Osaka, and Laurent Duvernay Tardif. Um, all great and worthy people. Um, but the one that stood out was Brianna Stewart uh, because they said presenting the sports person of the year, the activist athlete. And I will say that they clarified within the copy of, of, of explaining the decision-making, that they were champions in every sense of the word. Champions on the field, champions for others off of it. Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP, used his platform to push the league to recognize Black Lives Matter and the right to protest. Naomi Osaka, U.S. Open champ, embraced her fame, found her voice in the fight against social injustice. Brianna Stewart returns from devastating injury, leads her team to the WNBA title, speaks out for... Um, women's equality and against racism, and Laurent uh, Duvernay-Tardif, the Chiefs lineman, who was a champion but also left the NFL to join the front lines of the battle against COVID. And we all know about LeBron James uh, and the Lakers winning and everything that he did in terms of voter suppression and other social justice issues. All of them very deserving. But Brianna Stewart, a champion on and off the field, if that's what you were looking for, you certainly found someone who did return from devastating injury and had all these things to overcome and was one of the first to suggest that they write Black Lives Matter on the court in the WNBA, was uh, you know asking for moments of silence before games to make sure that Breonna Taylor was honored, was a white ally for the cause of racism, which is what we're always asking for, right? We always say that there need to be some of the highest profile and most popular and successful players in every sport. And it's exactly what Aaron Rodgers said about Colin Kaepernick. It's exactly what we demand. So there is none of this that has anything to do with shading Brianna Stewart for what she's done. But it repeats a pattern that we have seen so many times of the work of black women being erased in favor of honoring white women who stand as sort of the representation of all the work being done. And especially in a league that is 70, 80% black, it just hits different, and I get that they want to they want to honor this balance of doing the best at what they do while also being a committed activist, and she's deserving in that way. It, 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 you can't view it in a vacuum. You can't ig- ignore the context. You can't ignore the fight that's gone on in our country this entire year to recognize and understand not only Black Lives Matter but the work of those people. And the amount of screaming and protesting and and crying and asking to be heard and for their plight to be understood and for things to change has consistently been not listened to until a white person takes up the cause. And so we, we hope for those allies to step up. But when things like Sports Illustrated decide to honor her instead of any number of the 80 percent of active black players in the WNBA, like the players union president, Neka Ogumike, 
like Renee Montgomery, who we had on this show talking about how she skipped the whole season in order to focus instead on the activism that was so meaningful to her. She took what was going on with George Floyd in this country and she said, I refuse to prioritize basketball. I refuse to be someone who helps contribute to our conversations, turning to sports and away from these pressing race issues. I do not want to lose this moment in time. Same thing with Maya Moore. They gave up the opportunity to do what Brianna Stewart and the rest of those players did. They gave up a chance to compete for the championship that helped earn Brianna Stewart this award because that's how much it was meaningful to them to be leaders in this fight. And again, I want to reiterate, this has nothing to do with shading Brianna Stewart, who did everything asked of her and more. It's simply to say that these choices matter, and it matters that they keep being made while ignoring the efforts of of, of these incredibly strong, creative, by the way, the way the WNBA chose to protest and honor uh, the dead this year was was remarkable at every turn. The, the the Warnock stuff with Kelly Loeffler, part owner of the Dream, was brilliant in the way they didn't feed her desire for for publicity and attention, and instead turned toward how do we direct attention to the person opposing her that we think is more deserving. Um, and and you look at, you know, uh, I, I saw in a story there was a there was a Forbes uh, thirty under thirty class of twenty twenty one, and in the sports segment there were three black WNBA players named. 30 under 30 class of 2021 for for all of sports and they didn't get this recognition it just feels so uh antiquated it and and what's surprising is Megan Rapino actually wrote the piece honoring Brianna Stewart uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did LeBron's they have different notable athletes write these pieces honoring um, those that won the award and Rapino in the past has actually criticized Sports Illustrated for being too too um, focused on the, the actions and accomplishments uh, of white people. And so she made a point in her piece talking about Stewart of, of the, of pointing out the sort of importance of white allies of the most important and highest uh, profile players, making sure they put their weight behind these important causes. So I think she understood that that needed to be mentioned and um, to be a white player in a predominantly black league, to make sure that you're using your voice to lift up those around you is incredibly important. So, again, it's not that she's not deserving, and it's not that they needed to um, necessarily go away from their their model of choosing those who have achieved the most in their given sports. It's more so that if you're going to step away from the norm and make this um, about athlete, athlete activists, then maybe consider the optics of what it means to lift up um, 20% or less of, of a league's uh, race race makeup when you're when you're honoring that award um, instead of taking the opportunity to to prove that you understand that the work of black women in that league uh, has led the way from the beginning and continues to do so it's an interesting conversation i'm certainly not quote unquote canceling anyone uh, i'm not even uh i'm not even arguing necessarily that the award wasn't uh, earned more so that uh, i think these conversations are necessary because we keep repeating them over and over these actions and uh, erasing the work of black women uh, needs to continue to be forefront and on our minds so that when we make decisions and honors like this uh we don't uh, keep doing the same thing over and over. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz will be back to talk with uh, former NFL head coach Mike Martz. He's going to join us in just a few to talk about some of the rest of the big stories from the NFL weekend that we didn't get to. Uh, maybe we'll have some time to talk about the Bears. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If I told you that we were 
In a Monday Night Football game that only had 11 minutes remaining and the only undefeated team in the NFL had 21 rushing yards and seven drops. Would you consider it maybe a trap game? You think maybe it might have let down a little bit? Uh, we'll have an expert help us figure out what the heck's going on with the Steelers and the WTFs, as I call the Washington football team, in just a second. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz coming back in just a minute here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance, and it's time for a little Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Joining us now on the Shell Penzel Performance Line, former NFL head coach Mike Martz. Coach, you keeping an eye on this first Monday Night Football game here? You know, I've been kind of coming in and out. I was uh, doing some Christmas shopping, and I watched a little bit of it, but it's, uh, well, it's quite a game, isn't it? It is. I'm wondering, do you think it's actually a positive for a team like the Steelers that are not world beaters, great team, but most would argue that the Chiefs are even better to maybe take an L in the regular season so that they don't enter the playoffs undefeated and that that L might actually teach them some things? No, I, I've never believed in that. I think you just you you continue to try to play to a certain level, and I think that kind of pressure is good. It keeps guys focused on that, and, and there's no that kind of stress is a positive thing in my mind. I think you're trying to be the best there is, and, you just deal with it. You know, that's uh, that's a great position. You work a whole lot to get there, and now you're going to complain about it. You know, it just mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. Do you think the Steelers are a great team or a team that's just done well against the, the schedule that they've got? No, I think they're a very good team. Um, they could become a great team. I, there's some things that they've got to do, obviously. Uh, they haven't been real good on occasion against a run on defense. So, you know, there's – you know, there's some things that they've got to sure up before you can consider them a great team. They go undefeated to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, they're in that in that category automatically. But um, you know, anytime you win 11 games like that, uh, you you can't distance yourself from a whole lot of teams. Mike March, former NFL head coach, with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's talk about a team that is uh, decidedly not great. That is the Jets. Uh, are you buying in at all? The people who are saying Greg Williams was trying to lose. That was a tank defense. Uh, and if that's the case, then then how would he get fired the next day? <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't think anybody does that. I don't think any coach is aware of that or thinks about those things. I, you know, I don't buy that at all. I, I, did they have a timeout? Um, uh, yeah, time they did have a timeout. About- yeah, Adam Gase said he was uh, uh, kind of too busy talking to someone else and wasn't paying enough attention to call a timeout when he saw that defensive scheme. <laughs> Well, and the players, the players can do that too. You know, they can burn the time out and say, wait a minute now, we need to talk about this. So I've actually had Kurt Warner do that to me a couple of times on some play calls. But I think that the biggest issue there is if they – I didn't know whether the Raiders had a timeout because if they did mm. there, I think he was trying to, you know, keep them from getting in position for another play perhaps. I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure that out myself. I don't know. That's the only reason I can think of is that they're trying to keep them out of a – a chunk that might put him in a position to, you know, to score and win the game. Let's talk about Adam Gase. He worked under you in Detroit and San Francisco. He's called you the biggest influence in his career. He is in a tough spot right now. A lot of people would have thought he'd be out of a job by now. What are you seeing from him and what's gone on with that team this year? Well, there's just so many uncontrollable variables for him. You know, obviously the roster has been built by somebody else. Uh, I think he inherited some of the, a lot of things that were in place there staff-wise. And, you know, he's got to put his stamp on it, um, and he will. I think the biggest thing for him is to keep, stay energized and stay positive and, and provide the leadership they need as long as they're getting better. And I didn't see the game. I, it was blacked out out here. We, we didn't get it, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. But 
as long as they're playing better and getting better, there's there is light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, they're obviously they they've got to make some changes at the end of the year. Mike, you think he's going to stick around? You're talking about it like he's going to put his stamp on it, like he'll have some more time with this team. Well, I hope he does. You know, I, I do. I hope he does. And because there's just so many variables out of his control that uh, perhaps ownership understands that. If they don't, they don't. There's nothing to do about that. But uh, biggest issue is keep your eye on the prize and just, you know, keep your energy up and and keep, uh, you know, those the players will follow or they will respond to guys that are tough guys and they know what they want and they're very disciplined. You know, they'll follow people like that in a leadership role and you just got to stay energized and focused at the job at hand. Mike Martz, former NFL coach with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, we saw Jalen Hurts go in yesterday. It felt in some ways both inevitable and shocking because of the amount of money that sunk in Carson Wentz, uh, but they needed a, a change. Uh, do you think if you were in that position and you're Doug Peterson, you can, you can, argue with your front office about who should be in there when you've got that much money spent on one guy? Well, you know, I think quarterbacks, this happens to quarterbacks often, actually. Uh, and teams that are struggling and, you know, the pieces around them are probably not what they need to be to be successful. Uh, he feels the pressure of that, so he's trying to win this thing on his own, which is never a good thing for any quarterback. And you just keep digging a hole for yourself. I think a good thing for him is to take – you know, take time out now, uh, sit on the sideline and, and kind of regroup and uh, maybe ends up in another organization, which I would think would be the best thing for him uh, and move on. You know, Alex Smith went through this in the 49ers. number of coordinators uh, was carrying that heavy load, was blamed for a lot of things. And, you know, my advice to him, but at, when I was there with him, he was injured. He didn't play for us, but you might need to, you know, at that point, you might need to change uh, your scenery and, and move to another team and, yeah, a new start in your career, and I think that's probably what he needs to do. Mike March, former NFL coach, with us here in Spain and Fitz. Fitz is back. Fitz, I'm going to ask a follow-up quick on that. I'm wondering how awkward it is in a team situation if you have a guy like Hertz come in and play admirable, admirably like he did to convince the guys on that roster, on that team going out there every Sunday, if you don't make the switch to the player pay, playing better, if you if you do stick with like a Wentz in that situation, how do you then motivate the rest of the guys if they're not sure if what the decisions are being made based on on skill? Now, players are too busy getting ready for the game. They, they're aware of these things, but uh, obviously, as a coach, you you don't make this on emotion. You make it on what's best for the team, what's going to help you win games. And and players, you know, if you have the players' respect, they get that, they understand that as a head coach that you're trying to make these decisions to help them win games. And and once they understand that, which I believe they do, then they know any move that you make is, is has that purpose. Coach, as we sit here and look at a game right now between the Steelers and Washington football team that's tied at 17, I'm just struck by how inconsistent the league has felt this year week to week, even more so than usual. Is there anything you've seen that you can attribute that to? Well, I think the, the beginning, because there was such little time in the offseason, I think the first six games or so, there was an awful lot of man coverage because it was simple, you know, and I think uh, defenses got lit up. There's a lot of passing yardage, a lot of points. And as they put their defenses in and offenses started to create tendencies, now they can implement, you know, these multiple defenses, zone dogs, different coverages, and confuse the quarterback a little bit. And I think it's really calmed things down in terms of offenses. And I think that uh, pass rushers are getting better. You know, they're kind of getting into their – their full season mode, so to speak, because it, it was such a late start for them. And I, and I do think now that 
you know, the lack of some offensive linemen is, is really telling. I don't know that I've ever, maybe you guys have seen this, but I don't know if I've ever seen a season where so many starting offensive linemen have, have missed games. It's got to be a record for everybody in the league. There's just so many teams without those guys. So I think that has uh, some bearing on it. But I do think defenses now uh, are much more uh, multiple and complicated than what they were perhaps uh, six weeks ago. Mike Martz, former NFL head coach with us on the Shell Penzo performance line here on Spain and Fitz. What are we seeing from New England? Is this a team that's not dead yet, might actually still make a run for it, or just a couple good games? You know, whether you like Bill Belichick or you don't like him, uh, he, I think he probably is the best coach that, that the league has ever seen for a couple of reasons. But primarily, he has an uncanny ability to take what he has and get the most out of it and follow that. By that, I mean, if the quarterback's not particularly playing well, that, that what they do is they focus on defense and rushing the ball very well. And they they take that team towards its strength. And they really exercise that in an opportunity to win games. And he's done that. So he's, that team has morphed in different directions just trying to win games. And uh, there's a standard that they work and play to there that uh, most teams just don't have, to be honest with you. And that's why he wins. Yeah, you just mentioned that. People are going to follow a coach who's disciplined and, and shows leadership and control. And that's certainly the case there, whether you enjoy it. Uh, thanks for the insight, Coach. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Coach. Former NFL head coach Mike Martz giving you the straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. And in the spirit of that, even though he gave a great answer, I got to give you the straight talk, Fitz. You just asked if there was any reason to point to inconsistencies in the NFL season this year. <laughs> like a global pandemic that required no offseason or preseason and yeah, everything but, to be done. Be but that still ma- it still <laughs> makes no sense that a team can look great one week and awful the next that now that true. we're in that the season. That is true. He did give you a good answer for it, but the way you asked it, I was just... Ah, I just love it. Uh, coming up, we're going to take a break from the NFL to get into James Harden. And boy, do I have some words for that guy uh, and some other NBA news. And then we'll get into some uh, good take or hot take a little bit later. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So James Harden uh, has made it clear that he wants out in Houston. But in case they didn't get the message, he's hanging out in Vegas, hitting the strip. He's, uh, you know, making appearances at Dre's Lounge and Dre's After Dark and other uh, noted establishments out in Vegas. He's going to a rap star Lil Baby's birthday party, maskless with a Louis Vuitton bag of $100,000, throwing money around. And he's doing this intentionally. He is doing this so everyone can see, and he doesn't care. He's not, he's not on the sly leaking to reporters. He's not getting caught by someone who posted on their TikTok. He is telling everyone, I don't care about a pandemic. I don't care about mask rules. I don't care about my safety, their safety, whether I'm available. And I don't care about the team that owes me massive amounts of money. $41 million this year, $44 million next year, $47 in the third year, option year of his deal. I'm just going to keep acting out until I get what I want. And unfortunately, it's not making the situation easier for him to get out. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I got some good sound on this, Fitz, but I wanted to ask what your reaction was to seeing James Harden maskless in a club full of people in the middle of a pandemic when the season is like 
a couple weeks away and he's supposed to be doing workouts or quarantining at home. Yeah, I, I think I've got, well, I've got so many different issues with this. Number one, with James Harden. Number two, with any facility that's letting him go around and do that. You know, I mean, there's a moment you mentioned he's in Dre's nightclub. Like, the city of Las Vegas has been decimated by the entire COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, the virus and the way it's hit that city. Like, I'm, it's going to take a generation for the city to actually recover financially. So, for them to be allowing anybody, I don't care oh, what you do. Oh, he's really helping out. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's showing up with those honey buns. Oh, I'm sorry. Those are for the for, for the rapper Lil Baby. They're not going into the economy of Vegas. Yeah. And then you've got the, the fact that he signed a four-year deal that he's in year two of. I mean, this is this is a relatively new contract that was $171 million guaranteed. That's a ton of money. And now he's out acting a fool because he feels he can and because nobody can stop him because he doesn't want to do what he's contractually obligated to do. Like, I have a really hard time with that. His mom tweeted out, or I guess uh, maybe this is Instagram, I've raised my son to be the caring and giving young businessman that he's become. He has his own mind. He can make his own decisions, and I'm very proud of him for that. Now, as far as his job, you clearly don't understand what's really going on. That's okay. You know if people had their own life and not try to make decisions for others, we would really be a better world. His decisions in life, because this is his life and legacy, has nothing to do with you. He's doing the best for his career. Please pay attention and understand he's worked hard. Every time he's suited up for his job, given 210%. That's a new number. I've never heard that about before. Uh, and that he wants to get a ring. That's it. So knowing all of that, that in some way he and his mom presumably believe that he is doing this in a way that will help him get uh, uh, that 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 coveted ring and that trade that he so desires. Let's listen to two pieces of sound from the jump today. Here's Ramona Shelburne, ESPN NBA writer on the Rockets in this situation. If a player wants to make uh, the team uncomfortable, if he wants to be disruptive, then they can. And I think the one thing that got me about James's post over the weekend is You know, this isn't Lou Williams at the strip club in Atlanta, at Magic City, where somebody posted a photo of him and then everybody said, oh, wait, Lou Williams was at Magic City? Right. Like, this was James posting it himself. Right. He wanted people (laughs) to know he was not, he was out with little baby with the Prada bag and $100,000. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know how much more blunt you can be, but like you, he wants, that's a message that's sent. Now, I also covered a media day. Oh, man, it feels like a million years ago. I think it was 2007, though, mm-hmm. um, when Kobe Bryant had demanded a trade yep. with the Lakers. And we were all standing out there waiting to see if he'd show up. And none of his teammates knew if he'd show up. But he eventually showed up and did what he was supposed to do, said what he was supposed to say. The Lakers never traded him. And they went on to the finals that year because Andrew Bynum got good and they traded for Pau Gasol. So could be one of two things for the, for the Rockets. It's interesting, Fitz. Like, there's a situation in recent times where a player was like, I want out of here, and they went on to the finals. Well, and, you know, what do you do if you're the team in this? You can either be right, you know, or you can find a way to, to sort of go about your season. I mean, what level of success is going to be the right success, though, for this Rockets team? Like, this Rockets team isn't an NBA Finals team, right? At least none of us think so in that stacked West. So if I'm the Rockets and I'm really being held up against this, you know, this this demand that I do something, if I own the Rockets, I'm looking at it and saying, well, I'm not winning the title this year anyway. So, no, I'm just not going to give in to your demands because otherwise – what do you have? Like, what are the Rockets really supposed to get in return? And how are they supposed to turn this into a positive for them as an organization? If I own the Rockets and I can't find a positive that comes from getting rid of James Harden, then he's still going to wear a Rockets jersey this year. I don't care if he likes it or not. Well, so David Fisdale, a uh, former uh, NBA coach, was on the jump today. And he and Ramona kind of went back and forth on this. And 
the key for me is even if he wants out, they have no leverage right now. If you're partying in Vegas, maskless, not not working out with your team and not quarantining because every other team can see that and they're going to give you offers based on how much he wants out. You need to show up and you need to ball with you guys on your team and remind people why you're great and make your worth go up. Here's what David Fisdale and Ramona had to say. First starts with sitting down with James and saying, okay, how do you want this to play out? And, you know, yes, we are actively shopping to trade you, but until we can, we all have to be pros and do our job. And you would expect and you would want to uh, encourage him to be that type of person that would come out and play until that opportunity came up where a deal could be worked out. Uh, it doesn't look good for anybody if James well, doesn't show up. Well, I think for Houston, up. like, you know, for Houston, like, to me, the, the, the conversation is, is James going to play nice? Is he going to right. be dis- – or is he going to be disruptive? If he can settle in with John Wall and they can get off to a decent start – that actually increases Houston's leverage. But if he's disruptive, if the team starts to crater, if this started, then then they're really trading him from a from a place of duress. And that's the key. Is this is selfish, Fitz, for all of his teammates, for the franchise that just gave him that massive deal, and not to mention just the fact that if just an average person was partying in Vegas right now, maskless with dozens of people, I would be angry at them. Because we're never going to get out of this if people keep doing that. And meanwhile, it's this guy. Nobody ever, you know, contracts for every sport are always handled differently. And for me, what I love about the NBA is that these contracts are guaranteed because it means the players are going to get theirs, right? But at some point, there has to be some leverage to the team involved in these arguments. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what's the point? Because they they structure their entire future on these deals. They structure the way they're doing business, their marketing campaigns, everything about it. Just like I hate the NFL system where a player is just suddenly thrown away like, like trash anytime a team doesn't want them and there seems to be so little recourse. I conversely, I hate the opposite because it's gone too far in the NBA side. I, I want a world where contracts are honored, where contracts are, are paid by both sides and if everything's guaranteed and everybody has to pay the price, good and bad, for the deals that they do. I agree. I do think that there's an element of that player um, empowerment, which is great, but you can't just bone a team when they do everything based on the idea they're going to have you for a certain number of years. You get all that guaranteed money if you suck, right? So if you're great, there needs to at least be working with the team when you want out because they're no longer doing what you wanted, especially in this case when they've just been doing whatever Harden's wanted for years. Uh, Coming up, we'll get into good take, hot take. Also, WFT just happened in the NFL. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Ah, can you hear that? I I believe it is the sound of champagne popping as the 72 Dolphins celebrate once again the undefeated Steelers undefeated no longer. They rushed 14 times for 21 yards in a loss to the Washington football team, a.k.a. the WTFs. And now that secret's out of the bag. Everyone's calling that. I just want to say I've been calling them that for at least a month now, exclusively and only, the WTFs. They've now won three straight games, Fitz. The last time they won three straight was back in 2018, weeks six through eight. And now, little cherry on top of that Sunday, they're tied with the Giants, and they beat the Steelers. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, Fitz, I keep asking people, are the Steelers really that good? And they keep saying, look at their record. And I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're celebrating this because now we've got some real drama for that top spot. I'm still trying to figure out how the tiebreaker goes when I get that info. Uh, you know, I'll be the first to to tell anybody. But in the meantime, Washington came into this game with a defense that's got a lot of respect. A bunch of guys on the defensive side of the ball that can play, and they showed it. They had a good game defensively. But more importantly, I mean, you got Alex Smith throwing 46 times in this game. They had no run game to speak of, and they were able to just load up on Alex and say, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to win this football game. And suddenly... I mean, quietly through that process, it sure makes Ron Rivera look like he knew what he was doing when he decided to put Alex Smith in a quarterback because now uh-huh. they, they've got a real shot at winning the division, even as bad as their record is. And worth noting that I can only imagine the takes that are going to come out of Pittsburgh because this game was the essentially the same kind of turnaround of a Thursday-Sunday because they had to get delayed for the Ravens. By no fault of their own, right? We could sort of argue that it didn't matter as much as long as they kept winning games. But, you know, you lose to the WTFs, whether you deserve it or not, and you have a couple players missing, and you're on a short turnaround. All of a sudden, the frustration with how that was handled becomes a little bit more of something people want to listen to. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially when you look at the fact that now they get the Bills in a week. Uh, They still have the Colts and Browns left on their schedule, two teams that are battling for the playoffs. So uh, for the Steelers, it's not going to get any easier down the last few weeks of the season. And uh, any change in their schedule, I think, at this point would have the fan base, uh, does rightfully have the fan base riled up because of what it means for them. Yeah. Uh, Well, we're going to get all sorts of takes on that, and we're going to get some takes in in the next game because we got another Monday night football game. That's right, two for the price of one or Probably the price of 11 teen this year. Who can say how much it costs to put all of these on? But we got Bills 49ers coming up next on ESPN, so tune into that. I think it's actually already underway uh, over there. And um, I will tell you uh, this, just, just, you know, leave it to Kevin Winter, extraordinaire, to come in and give me this information. The first tiebreaker is conference record, so Pitt would still be the number one seed as they have not yet lost an AFC game the Chiefs have to my beloved mm. Raiders. So ah, my right. Raiders still controlling everything, Sarah. Okay. All okay. right. I don't know um, if we need to go that far. Too, too uh, although they were controlling Travis Kelsey's brain because they're living <laughs> rent-free in the Chiefs' head last night. I sent a video. Uh, hey, who, who are you congratulating? He was talking about the Broncos doing a good job, but he called them the Raiders. The Raiders have been doing a good job. That all your boys are living in their heads. Um, all right, let's get into some of the weekend stuff. We'll talk about this Monday night game that started uh, between the Bills and the Niners in a moment. But we always react to the reactions the day after a weekend of NFL action. We call it good take, hot take. Let's listen to Marcus Spears, our ESPN NFL analyst on the 12 p.m. Sports Center, talking about what the Eagles should do now that they've put Jalen Hurts in yesterday. There is no more reservation. There is nothing but action. And what Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles have to do is take action and start Jalen Hurts, build a plan around Jalen Hurts, and see if Jalen Hurts can be a better quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles than Carson Wentz has been. Does this mean Carson Wentz history is over in Philly? Possibly. But Carson Wentz will be employed by someone else in the NFL based on things he's done previously to this season. But at this point where they are with the way Carson Wentz has performed, Jalen Hurts needs to be the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, good take or hot take? That's a hot take. Uh, And look, I I love Jalen Hurts. I I do, but uh, we've seen nothing to prove that he can have a ton of success. And also, by the way, as we keep noting, 
If Carson Wentz isn't on the Eagles roster next year, it costs the Eagles $59 million on the cap. So you really want, like, is Carson going to enjoy being the backup? No, what they need to do is salvage this whole thing with Carson Wentz. By the way, even if it's the year after and they cut him, $24.5 million hit. That's cut or trade. So they are absolutely stuck with Carson Wentz the next two years. So I, I, I think they need to keep Carson Wentz in there and get that right. I disagree with you on the notable difference from when Hertz came in. He outperformed him. He played better. 109 yards on 5 of 12 passing, a touchdown. Did have a pick, but he rushed a couple times for 30 yards. Wentz was in there doing what we've seen all year. Sacked repeatedly, didn't look confident. And as much as I understand the financials, the question that any team has to ask themselves in a situation like this is, are we just going to continue to make ourselves bad and lose more money on a bad investment? Or do we cut our losses and say we need to to move forward and see what Hurts can do? I think it's a good take. I think at least for now, while Wentz is as bad as he's been, I think you go with Hurts and then you hope that you can get Wentz to somewhere else that's going to want him and you offset a little bit of the cost. It's, it's It's a bad contract no matter how you slice it. But we have not seen anything from Wentz throughout this year that would lead us to believe that he will bounce back and be the guy that you wanted him to be. Uh, and I don't think you just keep running that horse uh, into the ground. Is that an analogy? We're going to make it one. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, let's get to the Browns. Rex Ryan, ESPN NFL analyst on Get Up, was real hot on the Browns after their win over the Titans. To be 9-3 and three and to be on your way to making the playoffs is in and of itself an accomplishment. But as you watch them, I know you think this is a team that can do more than that this January. Yeah, absolutely. And it never took this game right here to, to tell me that. I said it in the previous week that if they get average play from the quarterback position, this team can go deep in a playoffs. Well, if they get this Baker Mayfield, shoot, they can win it all. Mm. Okay, before you respond to that, good take or hot take, let's hear the reverse, which is Bill Barnwell on the Bill on, on uh, actually on the uh, ESPN Daily podcast this morning, saying maybe don't rush into praising this Browns team and Baker too much. I think honestly, what we're seeing here is what Baker Mayfield can do against the AFC South. I mean, last week. Mayfield threw for 258 yards and two scores against the Jaguars, who are the second worst pass defense in the league by Football Outsiders DVOA efficiency statistic. This week, Mayfield was dominant against Tennessee, but the Titans had a critical weakness coming into this game. The Browns, with their run-heavy approach, are one of the five most play-action-heavy teams in all of football. And coming into this game, Tennessee ranked 31st in QBR allowed against play-action pass attempts. Well, Pablo, you wouldn't believe what happened. Baker Mayfield torched the Titans off of play action. So was it just a matter of a good matchup and a guy who played well against that team? Or are we ready to say that they could go all the way? Any take that says they could go all the way to me is a hot <laughs> take. And and I mean a blazing hot take. I, look, the, the measured take for me is to take everything we see in the NFL this year in three-week lumps, basically. So what have we seen for the last three weeks tells us who that team is in my mind right now. So, yes, there's a big win over the Titans. But as much as Rex is saying that he was talking about that last week, last week the Browns barely beat a terrible Jags team, and we were all talking about the misses on wide-open receivers for Baker Mayfield. So the measured take here is that when Baker plays like that, awesome. They can win and they can win big. The other measure take is that Baker doesn't play like that ever. It was a career game. So let's see it at least one more time before we anoint him as the second coming and suddenly Santa Claus is delivering the Lombardi. Oh 
boy. Uh, this is a team that is going to keep giving us content because we have been bouncing back and forth on Baker and the Browns all year, which is wild because this is a team that was barely eking out one win a season. And now here they are. We're so up at arms about the success that they're having. I'm not surprised, though. There is a sort of inconsistency there that allows for this flopping back and forth. Um, I'm with you. It's a hot take to say they can win it all. And, and I think that it's a good take from Bill Barnwell that until I see this against the Ravens coming up and until I see this consistently, consistently against good teams, I mentioned earlier in the show their record against bad teams, great record against playoff contenders, not good. Uh, combined 76 points, I think, in their three losses to, to some good teams. Uh, I need to see more from the Browns. Uh, Greg Williams, uh, gone for the Jets. And uh, very quickly, I just wanted you to hear this, Fitz, whether you think this is a good take or a hot take from Warren Sharp today. I think this was on Chene and Golick Jr. I think it's completely justified. It should have happened a while ago. He is struggling as a coach just with his X and the O's and putting the guys in the right position. He, in my opinion as an analyst, is not deserving of that job. His defenses have not been good for a while now. But as an individual and as a person in this industry, I do not have any more disdain for anyone besides Greg Williams. I think Why? he's classless. I think he's, I think he's arrogant. He's prideful. He calls his defenses along those same lines. He talks to people in that same manner. He's been on nothing but teams with terrible defensive output. I mean, if you look at since he was banned for Bounty Gate and when he's brought back into the NFL on two different seasons, his teams have not had a single win. He's never been the defensive coordinator for a team that has actually posted a winning record in any of these seasons. We're talking about seven and nine at best. And it's just he's just purely arrogant. I'm glad he's gone, and quite frankly, I hope that no other coach is desperate enough to bring him back on as a defensive coordinator. Now that was Warren Sharp <laughs> on Max uh, with Max Kellerman ah, today. Max Kellerman, and Ooh. that is that is a good take, not a hot take. I'm in for every ounce of he what good. he just said, he and I hope I hope he what good. he said at the end is absolutely right. Like Greg Williams has gotten away with a lot because of his reputation. Hopefully, at the very least, the play against the Raiders destroys whatever little reputation is left. Well said. Brought to you by Shell V-Power, Nitro Plus, Premium Gasoline, more Spain and Fitz, including a couple NFL things we didn't get to. I guess, fine, okay, we'll talk about the Bears coming up. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. That's right. The big upset, Sarah, is that the Washington football team has beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers. They take their first loss of the year. Also, it's a Monday night, and in 2020, that means we get a doubleheader. I kind of like this. Uh, and in the doubleheader, the 49ers, are, uh, they've scored first. So it's nearing the end of the first quarter. They've just gone up 7 nothing over the Buffalo Bills. So obviously uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fire and, and emotion coming right now uh, from fans in general. It's Spain and Fitz pre- presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And uh, we get an interesting thought from Spain and Fitz Nation as it's Montreal Max who says an 11-0 team was only a 5.5-point uh, favorite at home versus a Washington squad. So that was telling you something before kickoff that uh, he hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Goes back to sort of, I think, why there might be a little conversation from Pittsburgh fans about why they're mad. The constant scheduling changes. Maybe they don't love the opportunity they had to get really ready for this game. But either way, Sarah, they lay an egg and they get beat. Yeah, I mean, like I said uh, over and over and over again, when we were talking about how the NFL was handling these various COVID issues, 
That wasn't an intention by them to try to screw the Steelers. It was an unfortunate result of what was going on with an uncontrolled spread with the Ravens. And I think the reason that the Ravens got a Tuesday night game instead of a Monday on that quick turnaround was because they don't follow that up with another Monday game on the schedule or something like that. There was a reason why. Um, it was not to benefit the Ravens and let more of them back. But no matter whose fault it is, you could absolutely say that the Steelers feel like they're right in being mad at the Ravens for messing with their schedule, being mad at the NFL for the way they handled it. But if your answer was they should have forfeited, ask the Steelers if they wanted that game forfeited. (laughs) Ask them if they wanted to all lose their money. Ask the NFL and the teams in the NFL if they want any games canceled this year, if it contributes to money not being made and therefore not going to teams and not going to players, and the answer would be no. So you can argue all you want that the right thing to do would be for the Ravens to forfeit when they disrupt a schedule as much as they did, and I would tell you that nobody wants that. Well, you know, one thing I love about fandom on Twitter is that it allows you to take unique perspective no matter the situation. So we'll go back to some news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Chris tweets us. He just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed there saying Pittsburgh losing is actually good for them. Pressure is off and they're still a very, very good team. They also did not have Connor in the backfield. Yeah, they didn't have Connor in the backfield. Injuries or people missing games because of COVID-19 has been such a part of 2020. I won't buy that excuse for anybody. And you can't tell me that there's a single Pittsburgh fan that woke up today saying, you know what, I really hope we just lose tonight. So this whole undefeated thing, like now there is no wiggle room. They still have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs for the top overall seed. But Sarah, realistically, they've got some tough games left on the stretch and they have no wiggle room to lose a game anywhere. So I have a hard time buying that this is easier or better for anybody. Yeah, you're on the same page because I just actually, before you rejoined the show, was asking Mike Martz about is there possibly a benefit to losing a game because we have seen in the past that stress, that pressure of keeping up undefeated records. Although when you get to the postseason, the pressure to stay undefeated is not greater than the pressure to win a Super Bowl, right? So it's not like it's not like otherwise you'd be pretty easy breezy during a playoff game. I do think there's something to be said sometimes for facing adversity reminding yourself what it feels like to take an out, reminding yourself of how it feels to not play up to your best. Remember, it was just last week that they won and Mike Tomlin was like, we sucked, right? So imagine what we're going to come out with. We're going to hear from Mike Tomlin after this game. I, I don't think he's the kind of guy that will throw that much blame toward the Ravens or the NFL or anybody but his own players because he knows we're going to go up against teams like the Steelers. I'm sorry, like the Chiefs. And we're going to need to play a hell of a lot better than we have. So bump that undefeated record. Who cares about it if we don't end up going anywhere? So maybe this is an opportunity for him to really go to his players and say, here, I told you, if you start skating and thinking you're hot, you know what, because of your record and you don't prep and show up for the game, this is what happens. Well, There's I, maybe a positive in there. I, You know, and I think in a baseball game, for example, in a no-hitter, sometimes I do buy that, like, okay, getting a hit, everybody breathes a collective sigh of relief. In an undefeated wait, 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 wait. I mean, you can't Run even talk about again? it. Wait, wait, wait. Run that back again. In a no hitter, like sometimes, like when you're up eight nothing and you're you're throwing a no hitter, like uh-huh. there's this point, there's a spot where finally, like somebody gets a hit, and you're like, okay, at least we can no. just stop that. No, what? <laughs> That's that. That is the worst take I've ever heard in my whole life. Nobody believes that it's a positive to take a hit in a no hitter. Oh no! Nobody you you want to tell relax. me that? You want to tell me that? Like afterwards, they don't all sort of breathe a little collective Holy sigh. S. That is your worst take ever, and that is really saying something because your food takes are. I can't wait to tweet about this. Your mentions 
Holy, this is the worst take I've ever heard. I'm just saying that it seems like you could just get that. All right, you know, we got that off our back. Let's just go about the rest of the game and go win it. Like, I, that makes total yeah, sense just, to me. Yeah, just like the other 162. Wow, that was terrifying. We almost had excitement for a moment there. Well, Someone yeah. almost achieved something that would be the pinnacle of their career. Woo, glad we avoided that. Well, I mean, but come on. Like, if you can't even talk about it because you don't want to, like, add to anything and, like, all the mystique around it, then that's got to mean that it's, like, on everybody's mind. Like, when you can't talk about, like... Yes, it is on everyone's mind. In a Positive way. Is it really a positive? Something great. Yeah. You're telling me everybody doesn't get a little puckered up. Definitely your worst take ever. I'm I'm standing by this one. I feel good about this one. This is better than my pie is trash take. Like I feel like everybody inevitably gets puckered up when you know that somebody's like like you know you're. Okay, but there's okay. Pressure is a privilege. Billie Jean King. Wow. There are moments when the puckering is all for a good cause, and that is one of them. Well, you are happy for the pucker in that case. I, I and I don't disagree that pressure is a privilege that's a very smart way to say it i'm just saying so that the, the pressure is a privilege uh, the the puckering within a game is different than a puckering within a season i don't believe that a team comes out and in the third quarter they're like oh man we're just really tight because we're 11 and 0 right now and 12 and 0 just like that's right on the horizon like that just seems that seems to me like that's a that's a fake pressure that you know fans can justify but i will say that i got to give the nfl some credit they have created this drama because before the season when they came in and changed their playoff seating to allow seven teams in, they took away one of the buys. So only the first overall seed gets a buy. That does create a different level of pressure going into the end of the season now between the Chiefs and Steelers. If they hadn't made that change, Sarah, they have enough of a lead over the Bills. We're just talking about a little bit of home field advantage, but instead we're talking about a buy too. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And that's why I think, you know, normally you might argue when a team is, is performing as well as the Steelers, okay, you know, maybe that loss will do some good. Not when it's as tight as it is and not when the NFL somehow created even more drama at the end of the season, not only because we have no idea whether it's going to finish and when, but also because of the new playoff format. Well, the Monday Night Football game's underway and it's going to give you even more drama. Freddie and Fitzsimmons will keep it up, keep you updated on it. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.